everyone and welcome back to another, another episode. episode of Tudor Talk Time. <laughs> um, you may have noticed a different introduction. <laughs> we're one Lara short. One Lara short, yes. Um, but today we're going to be talking about none other than Bessie Blount. Yeah, and what cold. better way to spend this, this cold, cold, snowy day than yes. talking about a bit of cold <laughs> gossip and intrigue. Exactly. You know, so I feel like we should just, before we get into Bessie Blount, if you don't know her, she is the first officially recognised... most famous. Yeah, mistress, apart from Mary Boleyn. I would argue that she's more famous than Mary Boleyn. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, she is the first, in terms of chronology, uh, officially recognised mistress of Henry VIII, and... She has a fairly uh, important child with yeah, him. Yeah, she has a fairly important She's, role to play. Yeah. So. And a banging name, if I do say Bessie so myself. Blount. Bessie Blount. Great. I do love it. I saw this thing which was like, um, people used to use her name in a toast and they said, Blessy Bessie Blount. <laughs> Oh, that's which is the strangest thing. It also had no context for which the toast was used. Okay. But apparently that was used as a toast. We love that. Okay. Among the public. Anyway, um, Elizabeth, aka Bessie Blount, was born around 1498 to John Blount and Catherine Perschel at Kinlet Hall, Shropshire. Um, should we get into her parents a little bit? Because there's a, yeah. a bit of an interesting story there. So... They just married very, very young. And I'm yeah. not talking teenagers. Yeah, we're I'm... not talking like 13, 14. We're no. talking like 9 and 10. Yeah, very young. I mean, Catherine in particular was about 10. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, birth year is a bit of a bit of a dodgy a dodgy thing to find in the Tudor era but mm. regardless they were they were a young couple. It appears that she was around 10. Yes. So the Blount family, they weren't particularly high status, but they weren't, like, they weren't bottom-of-the-barrel kind of people. But I think the important thing to remember with the Blounts is that they're incredibly well-connected. Yes. Whether they're rich and, like, well-to-do is a slightly different matter, but they have connections, and sometimes that will get you further. But that's kind of more why we don't have Bessie's exact year or date of birth, but we're pretty sure it's around 1498. She was one of eight, and the birth order isn't really known no. either. But it's assumed she's the oldest because her oldest brother was... The oldest of her brothers was born in 1513. So many, many years after her. Yes. Um, but once again, it's fair... When we say we don't know much about her childhood or her family... This we is, really don't. I feel like this is the bar. Like, this is what we're working with. We don't yeah. know the birth order of her siblings. But when she, um, so if you're familiar with Tudor history, you'll know that Arthur, Henry VIII's older brother, uh, married Catherine of Aragon, and, and they went to live. If you familiar with that, you should listen to the yes. Catherine of Aragon If you aren't familiar with that, familiarise yourself. Mm. They went to go and live in Ludlow Castle in Wales, and Bessie's sister, Catherine Blount, actually is there as a lady for Catherine of Aragon. Yeah, and um, this was, like, an amazing opportunity for the Blounts. But, again, if you know anything, uh, this I'm, I sound so awful when I say that. I'm sure you know that Arthur dies. And this whole Ludlow... Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> I mean, everyone we've talk, we talk about is dead. It'd yeah, pretty that's incredible they were still alive. Pretty like, well done. <laughs> born in 1498, we have Bessie Blount with us here yeah. today. Bessie, do you have anything to say on this? Tell us about your childhood. <laughs> I mean, Catherine, Elizabeth's sister, not the mother... Um, probably managed to get this position 
as her great grandfather, which you might be thinking, my, which you might be thinking, isn't he dead? But remember that they married at like ten years old, so he's probably only forty realistically. <laughs> Um, anyways, her great-grandfather, Sir Richard Croft, was granted the important post of steward of Prince Arthur's household, and ultimately became Prince Ar- one of Prince Arthur's most important advisors for yeah. running Wales, I guess. <laughs> the principality um, of Wales. Um, but that's probably, I mean, steward of Prince Arthur's household is probably how Bessie's sister got that position. Yeah, but, I mean, this all seems so lovely and wonderful, but it comes crashing down a bit when Arthur dies. This court... <laughs> This court at Ludlow is just dispersed and everybody, it's kind of like either you get lucky enough to get a position at court or you're shipped off back to your, your countryside residence. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens with the Blounts. And there's not really much room at court because there's already established like ladies and stuff yeah. like that and all the positions are already filled. So, But this isn't the end of the Blounts because oh, no, no. when she is 12 years old, Bessie Blount becomes a maid of honour to Catherine of Aragon. Yeah. And this, I think, tells us the most about what Bessie was like, because in order to have a position that high up, you had to be, you had to be You basically had to go through interviews. Basically. It was kind of like an audition process as well. So we know that she could at least play one musical instrument, she could dance, she could sing. She could sing in public. She was gorgeous. It's By all records, she was like... Yeah. She was gorgeous. I know we often say, oh, they were really, like, they were, like, she was gorgeous. She was pretty, like, Bessie was, like, stand out from the crowd, yes. kind of gorgeous. And it's even said that, I mean, John Barlow, who was the Dean of Worcester, uh, called her John. more beautiful than Anne Boleyn. And <laughs> she said that she was renowned for her skill in music and dancing. Yeah. And that she was a frequent player in court masks. Um, I think we should just quickly, so her place uh, in court in Catherine of Aragon's household was a maid of honour, which I'm not sure if we've come across this title yet, but because we've all had ladies in waiting so far, yeah. but a maid of honour is basically just like a junior lady in waiting. Yeah. It's like the little, it's like, it is basically the little girl version, the young, yes. the young p- version of a lady in waiting um, with different responsibilities because they are younger pretty much (laughs) but even in this position she was earning money she was Mm. said to have earned five pounds a year in that money yeah but for us that's like hundreds for us it would be a lot more and it was just it was a really desired position at court and she did very well getting it yeah um she probably got kind of put up for the audition process i guess it's kind (laughs) of like it's not just like anybody, as we said, it's an audition process, but it's not like every single person did it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like with auditions, how you have to have a manager to get you the first audition. Mm-hmm. The equivalent was probably that her own father, John, had become one of Henry VIII's king's spears at the time of the new king's coronation, which was a very important position. I can't really say much more than that, <laughs> but it was, a, it was an honour. Because as we said earlier, her family may not be wealthy, but one thing about them is they're well connected. Yes. And this well connection, it makes Bessie quite prominent in court, so much so that Henry VIII himself becomes aware of her presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that this first happened in around 1514. First the first in sighting. Through Henry VIII fashion. At a mask. It was during a mask. The mask. Um, 1514, during the Twelfth Night celebrations, which. Or apt timing. Yes. 
Um, but it was said that she was an amazing dancer. She had a lovely singing voice and she was just a lovely presence to have around. Mm. She was good fun. Just a really sweet girl. Yes. And is this on the girl? Girl. <laughs> but also one thing to mention is Henry VIII in his younger years, his court was just a a group of rambunctious, high-energy, <laughs> young men and and women. And so she just fit right in. She mm. was super, you know, uh, energetic. But also just stand out in that. It's not like it's a court full of old, funny, duddy people no. and just a young girl walked in and everyone was like, whoa. It's like, you've got to really do something to stand out. Exactly. And we know that Henry was quite enamoured with her because... He, Pretty much, he just starts giving money to her family. Yeah. Um, in July 1514, Bessie's father uh, was gifted £146. Yeah. Um, important thing to think about. So, Bessie was probably around 15 years mm. old when this happened. Yeah. And Henry was 23. And that age gap does sound somewhat dodgy. But it's mm, seven years. We've seen it's eight worse. years. <laughs> it's eight years. So, when you think about spoiler alert this is gonna continue on for quite some time mm-hmm. in the end it doesn't seem that bad and i also thought it was really interesting i wanted to bring up the fact that um obviously it was not unusual for a high profile um man at court particularly a king to take interest in courting a younger woman um married or not married um but i just thought it was very interesting to think about because he is married to Catherine of Aragon at this point. And Catherine of Aragon was actually older than Henry. I think we've already been through this if yeah. you've listened to the Catherine of Aragon episode. So I just think it's even more interesting that he was drawn to someone that was definitely... In a young court, she was still on the young side. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. And um, not to get too psychologically weird, but I think that probably says something about Henry and how he felt within his marriage and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's because... In in so many ways, Bessie Blount is the complete polar opposite of Catherine of Aragon. Oh, yeah. Catherine of Aragon is quite restrained. She's slightly older. She's, she's very pious. Yes. Um, yeah, his elder, um, you know, she... The other, the other thing is that, like, she was raised to be a queen, but mm. Henry was not raised to be a king. No. And so I definitely think... This is definitely going on a slight tangent, <laughs> and, like, it's psychological, and it's, it's all just our opinions. Yeah. But I think that probably would have definitely grated on Henry quite a bit because mm-hmm. she would have been, she would have probably been smarter than him and been right more often than he was. And at this point, fifteen fourteen, they've been married for quite a while. They've been married for five years. It's probably beginning to grate on him a little yes. bit. Um, and so this young, um, naive—well, not necessarily naive, naive but fun but this young, yeah, yeah, this young fun girl has rocked up who is so gorgeous he's like i'm the king i can get whoever i want yeah and so that's probably a large reason for the attraction and this affair isn't is not a secret at all um even the duke of suffolk refers to bessie blount in a letter that he writes to henry referring to her as his mistress so we know we have really concrete evidence that they were well that isn't the concrete evidence the concrete evidence is that in 1518 (laughs) bessie falls pregnant with henry's child and she's unmarried the ego it is henry's child so we know for certain that this is henry's child Mm -hmm. not just because of that but when she actually gives birth in june 1519 she gives birth to a boy called henry fitzroy 
and the etymology is, of the word Fitzroy means son of the king. I know, and so it's a name that Henry would have blessed, blessed yeah. him with. When exactly the pair became intimate is unknown because he definitely tried to court her. Like, Henry would write her love notes and, like, give her gifts and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, while he was open about who he was courting, he kept the very... He did try and keep the intimate parts of his <laughs> lives with his mistresses as private as he could. Obviously, difficult to do. <laughs> you can't keep much private. And I also just wanted to say that we need, like... We're not at the point yet where we've had Anne Boleyn come and go where mistresses think that they kind of could say, marry me, or they think mm. that they're going to that no position really to be put, queen. Yeah, and no one's... this. As we said, this is the first, like, historically confirmed, well-known mistress of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, continual mistresses in, like... It's kind of like they were dating. They yeah. basically were dating. But yes. we just didn't have dating in the <laughs> times. Um... But that's basically what it was. He was enamoured with her, um, you know. And the other thing is, as she's the first historically confirmed mistress, etc., etc., um, she probably didn't know how he would react after she had a child. I think one of Anne's main driving forces was seeing what happened to Mary. Mm-hmm. To be like, if you want me, you've got to put a ring on it. Yeah. Because I'm not having that fate. Yeah. And we've just never seen any form of this fate before. So that's probably why what happens, happens. But anyway, back to August 1518. Bessie's prego. And then in in 1519, because obviously pregnancy does not happen in like a month. um, (laughs) Bessie left court. Some, it's, we're unsure whether it was on her of her own accord or family uh, sent her away or Henry was like, you should you should go away for this because I want it to be, like, I, I don't need it. I don't want it to be like a really public affair. And, but or it might have been Bessie who didn't want it to be because the other thing contextually to note when Bessie falls pregnant is Catherine has just had another miscarriage. Yeah. And so that is probably why Bessie left court as in, uh, multiple people read a room and said, we probably can't have a pregnant mistress roaming around court. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stays at the Priory of St. Lawrence in Blackmore, Essex, which is where on June 15th? My birthday. Phoebe's birthday. <laughs> um, <laughs> Me she... and Henry Fitzroy connected. You are like one. You are the same. We are the same person. I, your surname is Fitzroy. <laughs> My Phoebe Fitzroy. <laughs> oh, that rolls off the tongue oh, quite nicely. Going to change that. Um... <laughs> He is so important. He is basically the reason that Henry can go on to com- like claim that the reason that he's having daughters, that's not on him. That's on the wives because he's mm-hmm. proved he can have a son. Look at Henry Fitzroy. I've yeah. had a son with another woman, so clearly you are the problem. The man did not know much about genes and did not know that it actually is completely on him whether or not he is, is completely a on him. Girl. But on the other hand, it's completely on him, which also does mean he can have a son. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it no, works no, both no. ways. Um, um, but this also acts as a learning experience for Henry. From then on, he makes sure that his mistresses are comfortably married before he takes them on so that he, he doesn't have any illegitimate people roaming around. They are a bit of a, a dangerous thing to mm. have. All you need is sort of one claim that they're legitimate and you've got yeah. um, a rival. But he does claim it, and he, as far as he can go being sensitive... 
he does seem to dote over baby Henry Fitzroy. I mean, he probably asked that he be called Henry because it's, there's <laughs> one thing about Henry VIII. He is a narcissist. A bit. Um, he publicly acknowledged the boy as his own and made his godfather Cardinal Thomas Wolsey, who was the right-hand man of the king and Henry's closest advisor at the time. I mean, obviously Henry didn't see the future, but he picked his <laughs> closest advisor to be the godfather to his illegitimate son. Interestingly, the second godfather of little Henry Fitzroy was Henry VIII, because once again, yeah. if there's one thing about Henry, he's a narcissist. He wanted it to me. He it had to keep linking back to him. But he kind of keeps up rewarding Bessie and he keeps mm. her very happy. He... And he takes really good care of little Henry. I think we're going to mm. have to order little Henry. baby Henry. But baby. he's not really little. Uh, he's not really baby, he's little. Um, his care is overseen by Cardinal Wolsey. And on the 7th of June, 1525, just before his sixth birthday, he was <laughs> elected mm. as a Knight of the Garter. I don't... When I, we say elected, it's not like he was ran voted. for it the way that people run for MP. Um, he didn't like, he wasn't like, vote for me and I'll be great kind of thing. No. Um, but this is the most prestigious order in England. He, Henry is throwing titles at him because it doesn't end there. Um, and then on the 18th of June, 1525, at Bridgewell Palace, he was created... Earl of Nottingham, as well as given the double dukedom, double dukedom of Richmond and Somerset, as well <laughs> as the Earl, as well as being made the Earl of Nottingham, the Duke of Richmond, and the Duke of Somerset. This six-year-old boy was given lands and revenue at around four thousand eight hundred and forty-five pounds, which, as we said earlier. Five pounds was hundreds of pounds. Yeah. So this is a staggering amount of money at the time, especially for a six-year-old boy who is not even the legitimate heir, you know, or son of the king to be getting. <laughs> He's no. treated well. Back to Bessie. Back she's to also, Bessie. She also the does, main star, sorry. She also does Bess. really well. Um, she is married to Gilbert Tailboys, who is the heir of Lord Tailboys of Keene. He was a ward of the crown, so we know that this match was probably very orchestrated by Henry, and it was a great match. And also a servant in Cardinal Wolsey's household. Yeah. So this man, you know, he's working in Wolsey's household. Her son's basically being brought up in Wolsey's household. She gets to stay close and, as well. Yeah. And Henry also gives Bessie property worth of about £200 a year for the rest of her life. Mm. But it's most likely with this connection to Wolsey that Henry asked... Oh, that Henry asked that Wolsey find a suitable marriage match for Bessie because Bessie had another child. A daughter named Elizabeth, as it's a female... We know that if there's one thing Henry hates, it's an illegitimate girl, baby girl. Girl. Um, baby Elizabeth was not recognised. She was born sometime between July 1519 and June 1520. And I think that large range in when she could have been born in comparison to the exact yeah. date that little Henry was born, I think says it all, quite frankly. It tells you all you need to know. It tells us all we need to know. Um, and due to these dates, it's suggested and thought that the second child of Bessie's was not her would-be husband's, 
but in fact Henry's. And there have been a lot of debates as to whether Henry VIII is the biological father or not. But at the end of the day, he didn't recognise her. And Gilbert, bless his heart and soul, recognised the child as his, biological or not, and brought him up that way. And she, Elizabeth was considered um, Gilbert by law because... Mm-hmm. Anything about two times it's a patriarchy. Yay! Wow. Um, yeah, Gilbert's marriage to Bessie was big thumbs up for him. Yeah, they end up having two more children that yeah. we think are actually his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, George and Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they sound like a very cute little happy family. Yeah. Uh, Gilbert's getting a big thumbs up from this marriage because his financial income is going up because he gets Bessie's and also his is his income just goes up anyway in 1523 Gilbert was appointed sheriff in Lincolnshire and then in 1529 he was created um Baron Tailboys of Keem Kime whatever but unfortunately that doesn't last for long and in 1530 he dies leaving Bessie a widow with three children but thankfully, on the 12th of February, five years later, 1535, Bessie marries her second... I'm going to call him a boy toy because he's 12 years younger. <laughs> no, because not we actually about to say boy toy. No, literally. Uh, the first Earl of Lincoln, Edward Fiennes de Clinton, the ninth Baron Clinton. Um, and he was, as I said, 12 years younger. And in the next four years, those two would have three daughters, Bridget, Catherine and Margaret. But it's thought that this was a love match it was a marriage of love because lord thomas gray marquis of dorset had basically really been trying to get her to marry him and the greys i mean i'm sure we've got three episodes about them <laughs> hopefully you listen to one of them but the greys incredibly well-to-do family connected like they are a branch of the royal family this would have been an excellent political marriage for bessie but no she decides to marry um Edward. And she doesn't really need to do the whole political marriage thing anymore. No. She's pretty secure. But, the unfortunately... Year, a year or two after their marriage... Henry Fitzroy dies. Suddenly. On the mm. 22nd of July, 1536. I know. There is debate as to exactly what killed the young man of just 17 years of age. Some say tuberculosis. Some say the pneumonic plague. Some say he was just generally a sick little boy. Yeah. We do know that he had consumption in 1530. Mm. So maybe he just was pretty prone to yeah, disease. Maybe he had IBS. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, Bessie's thoughts and feelings regarding the loss of her son aren't officially recorded in any way that we can be like, look at this, like with the poems um, yeah. last week. Um, but it, you can imagine the loss. That's her connection to Henry, a man who was her first love, probably. And it is also important to note that we have zero written records from Bessie herself. None. Not a single one. All the records we have are from other people, so it is really hard to put Bessie's voice into any of these situations. But you can assume that she was probably Mm. pretty devastated. Yeah, I mean, it is really hard as well because... Her story is one of, like, it's just one of, we don't know whether, where Bessie was coming from, which is why a lot of the times um, we're like, you know, it might have been Bessie who suggested it, or it might have been someone else who suggested it. It does seem like she was somewhat used as a pawn a little bit, especially in Henry's, you know, when she had the, when she had Henry Fitzroy being a son, Henry definitely used that in her in his political way because he did stop engaging with this affair 
soon. It slowed down, the intensity. It's and then that. he moved on to Mary Boleyn. Yeah. So it's very much, he was like, this great big thumbs up. Good job, Bessie. Uh, you can run along now. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, that's just an important thing to bear in mind during this. I just wanted to mention that. Bessie outlived her oldest son by three or four years. Between 1539 and 1540, Bessie died. In childbirth. It appears it was in childbirth. Well, some people think it was of consumption. Um, as we don't even know the year of her death. (laughs) Or how she died. Or her resting place. We can tell that by the end of her life, the kind of prominence of Bessie Blount had, it had fallen a little bit. Yeah, I think she is. She will always be remembered, but the records of her are bad. They're not good. They're not good. <laughs> They're not good. Let's not sugarcoat it. They're bad. The records of her aren't good because also she leaves court, and mm-hmm. after she leaves court, it does get harder yeah. to follow her. Um, but I think she is a very interesting story to look at. Um, you know, it wouldn't. We wouldn't be covering Tudor women if we didn't cover Bessie Blount. <laughs> I would argue, just because she didn't marry Henry, she was still uh, used and loved by him. Yeah, and her son was... Henry Fitzroy is a very important person yeah. when we're considering Tudor politics. Very true. Even though he died, uh, <laughs> which actually, Loki, big thumbs up for Henry. Yeah, he hasn't got to worry about and someone with a claim to the throne running about anymore, and he's proved he can have a son. Still, so if anything, it's a big win for Henry, and therefore, I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's all we have today. All we have for this week. We really hope you enjoyed. Let us know if there's anything you want to hear. We also really enjoyed um, last week's episode. Yes. Well, I know I did. I don't want to speak for you. Um, So let us also know if you enjoyed that because that was quite different to our usual format. Format. Obviously, now we're jumping back into our more our usual Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But. Yeah, let us know. Follow us on all social medias. And we hope if you're in the UK, you're enjoying the, the snow. snow. And um, hopefully it's still here by the time this comes out. I know, otherwise it'll be a bit irrelevant. But and embarrassing. We <laughs> will see you next week on Tudor Talk Time.